All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here this morning. And uh, I'm gonna start off today by asking you a, a simple math question. Should be simple, okay? I know it's Sunday and especially some of the students that are in here, you're thinking the last thing I wanna do is start my spring break. I don't wanna have anything to do with math. Why are you asking me math? This is just a way to get our uh, uh, brains in gear, okay? Uh, so just to warm them up. Uh, I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna put it up here. And I want you to think of the answer in your head. Don't say it out loud. And then we'll see if our answers match. A bat and a ball costs $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? One more time. A bat and a ball costs $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? All right. Everyone have the answer in their head? Everyone got it? All right. Uh, does someone want to share the answer out loud? The answer is? Wow, we have a hesitant group this morning. Hey, anyone online want to share an answer? Hold on, here we go. Let's see, we, got, we have someone online submitting an answer here. Someone online says, oh. Oh, that was a prayer request. We'll, we'll come back. Missed <laughs> 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 one. All right, does someone want to, someone say out loud an answer out loud. 10 cents. I heard someone said 10 cents. Any other answers? Five cents. The answer is not 10 cents. The answer is not 10 cents. I can see some of your minds just churning away. Your minds have already been spun in a, in, a, in, a, in a pretzel. Here's the crazy thing, okay? This is not a trick question. This is not a trick with words. The answer, the answer can't be 10 cents, though. It can't be 10 cents. If the total cost of, the, of everything, we know the total cost is $1.10, right? And if we know that the bat costs $1 more than the ball, if you're saying that it's 10 cents, look, the difference would be 90 cents. It would only be 90 cents more than, than the ball, okay? We know that the dollar, <laughs> you wanna take a picture of this, right? You wanna document it, I'll send out my notes, okay? Uh, you're saying, if you're saying the ball costs 10 cents more, 10 cents in the bat costs a dollar, then, then the bat isn't a dollar more than the ball. It's 90 cents, okay? Now, I realized I just made some of your heads explode with that, all right? The only way, for the bat to be $1 more than the ball and the total equal $1.10 is if the bat is $1.05 and the ball is a nickel, totaling $1.10. And now the bat is $1 more than the ball. All right, now some of you are still confused. I can see that on your faces and that's okay. Well, we can go over this after class uh, when you feel sufficiently that you, know, you have an opportunity to wrap your head around the answer, but, but this is the right answer. It's a, it's, a, it's a question. It's a question that's so simple that it's hard. <laughs> it's so simple that it's hard and it, it tripped up uh, most of you, I dare say. Today, as we continue our one thing study, as always, I'm gonna ask you one simple question and hopefully give you one simple response. And today's question isn't a math problem, uh, fortunately, but it is a question that once in a while uh, is, you know, requires a simple answer, but that simple answer, sometimes we tend to make it harder than it actually is. The question that we're trying to answer today is, what must I do to be saved. What must I do to be saved? All right, now see, it's a simple question. Uh, it's such a simple question that sometimes it's hard. And the reason that it's hard is because we have a tendency throughout church history to make it hard. So, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you some answers to the question 
that uh, we'll say are a little less than right. I won't say that they're wrong, but I'm gonna say that they're a little less than, than right. And I'm gonna give you the right answer. And uh, I think uh, the answers uh, that are a little less than right are gonna surprise some of you, okay? What must I do to be saved? One of the less, less, right, less than right answers, one of the less than right answers is invite Jesus into your heart. Now I know that's gonna surprise many of you, all right? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that's a wrong answer. It's less than right because it's not an anti-biblical statement, but it's not expressly biblical, all right? It paints a nice picture, but it, but it just it leaves a few things out, a few important things. And I'm gonna tell you about those things in a bit, but, but here's another less than right answer, another one that's less than right. What must I do to be saved? Pray the sinner's prayer of salvation is sometimes what I've heard. Again, a well-intended sentiment, right? But this may come as a surprise to you. The sinner's prayer isn't actually in the Bible, okay? Uh, it's a prayer that's been constructed of a few different uh, biblical sentiments, some important ones, but ultimately it ends in the same manner as our previous statement with, with, a, with an invitation for Jesus to come into your heart. So in that respect, it's a little less than right. And again, I'm gonna explain more of this a bit further when we get into it. So what's the right answer? What, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved, okay? Oh, someone wants to be admitted into our room here. What must I do? We don't do anything. You know, David said something this morning in the sermon. I feel like that reflected that idea. But again, what must I do to be saved? Nothing. We do nothing. Do we do anything in our salvation process? We bring our sin. Yeah, we have to have need, right? All you need is need. But do we, in the salvation process, in the entire process of salvation, do we do anything? We receive, we believe. All right. These are good questions. I want you to stew on this for a little bit because we're going to get to it. Must I do anything to be saved? All right. Again, um, this is how Paul, I'm going to tell you how Paul and Silas answered the very same question. Paul and Silas asked the very same question of the Philippian jailer. And he said, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's another statement that's uh, uh, goes along with that, having to do with the household, you and your entire household. That's another issue that I'd love to get into sometime. But the one that I'm focused on today is the idea of to be saved, you must believe. Believe, okay? Just that's it. That's Acts 16.31. Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And what I want you to notice here is that someone is saved. A person is saved not by way of doing something, all right. There is no action you must take or work that you can perform to achieve salvation. Here's what this answer is saying. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe what? Believe what? Believe that he did it. Okay. Believe that he earned salvation on your behalf through his work, not through your work, through his work, through the, through the good things that he did, the salvation that he earned for you. And if you believe that, I've, I've got some really good news for you. If you believe that, you're saved. Now, let me break it down even more for a bit, uh, especially for the, the, the kids that we have in the room. Uh, oh, you know, my, my kids, you know, we would discuss this when they were younger, you know, what, what, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And then this is how I tried to explain it to them when they were really little. And even I still even remind this from, from time to time, Be, because of the bad things you've done, I would tell them, because of the bad things you've done, God says you should be punished. Uh, but Jesus said, you know what, instead of, instead of, for instance, Logan, instead of me punishing Logan, that's my son, instead of me punishing Logan, Jesus says, you can punish me instead. Okay. And because of that, not only does that mean you don't get punished, but you also get a prize too. You get rewarded too. 
right? And if you believe that, if you believe that that's what he did for you and that actually works, if you believe that works, then you get to go to heaven, all right? Now, again, it, it puts, it puts the, the focus on what Jesus does, on what he's done for you. And your, your belief, in the, your belief, your faith is the vehicle that allows you to take ownership of that, okay? Now, as simple as the answer sounds, it's, it's also still pregnant with other things. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about today, okay? I've told you a number of times about how apologies work in our household. You know, it used to be that I would make, still, I still sometimes have to make my kids apologize to one another for, for something they've done wrong, right? Now, more and more, it seems like I'm asking them to apologize to their mother, <laughs> okay? Hey, don't talk to your mother that way. Don't talk to your mother that way. Have you lost your mind? And usually, for example, if they talk disrespectfully to their mom, I'll say something like that. Oh, people who talk like that to their mother don't get phones, you know, because right now the, the phone is everything to them, right? You, you want to talk to your mom that way that your phone becomes mine now. All right. Should I take away your phone? And very quickly, do you know what I get? I get a lot of backpedaling. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything disrespectful or I get the apologies that I'm looking for. Right. But here's the thing. And, and this is the trap with making someone apologize. Right. It's not that there's magic in the words. I'm sorry, though. Some might argue that there is, but I'm sorry. Right. You don't just want them to say the words. You want them to what? You want them to mean it. You want them to mean it, okay? You know, you want them to mean the words. Don't just say, say, I'm sorry. I want you to mean it. Do you mean it when you say, I'm sorry? Or are you just trying to get your phone back? You know, what's happening here? And nine times out of 10, I think I know what's happening, right? The first element of someone being saved is correct knowledge. The first element of someone being saved, saved is correct knowledge of self and Jesus, okay? See, more simply stated, uh, Remember when I gave you the, the children's answer of what must happen for me to go to heaven, I first said, because of the bad things you've done, you know, God says you should be punished, right? That's the first thing we need to understand about being saved. We have to have an understanding of what it is we're being saved from. Now, on a very, very basic level, from what are we being saved? Well, judgment, right? None of us want to receive God's judgment. None of us want to take, none of us want to have our phone taken away from us, right? So, or sometimes we do. Uh, so what's, what's our impulse? Our impulse is to say, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I don't take away my phone. I don't, I don't want judgment. I don't want judgment. So yes, in one sense, we don't want to be punished. Uh, so, so, you know, we, we want to know what do, I, what do I have to do to avoid punishment? What do I have to do to, to avoid the bad thing? All right. Tell me what I need to do. That's always where we seem to steer ourselves. Well, not only you have to say you're sorry, but you have to mean it. You have to mean it. But the thing is, I can't, I can't make myself feel more sorry than I actually am, can I? You know, if I say, stop talking disrespectfully to your mom, sorry, do you actually mean it? And how do I know that you mean it? Can you make yourself mean it? Can you conjure that up, right? If you understand the gravity of what you've done, if you understand the gravity of what you've done, you don't have to make yourself feel sorry right? When we first moved into the, the house we live in right now, we've been there for 15 years, about 15, going on 16. And when we first moved in, it needed a lot of fixing. It was, it was bank-owned property, uh, so it was in need of a lot of TLC when we first moved in, tender loving care, when we first moved in and took ownership. So, so many of the improvements we made didn't necessarily uh, represent what we wanted and dreamed about. It was just 
we had to get what functioned and what would, would make the house work. Many improvements were done because we said, well, this is what we'll do for now. It's not what we always dream of. This is what we'll do for now, okay? It's what we can afford and it's better than nothing. One of those things was the, the light in our entryway. And our entryway is a, is a two-story entry uh, that uh, has, a, has a chandelier hanging down. Okay, in that two story, in the very first, when we first moved in, it was the ugliest chandelier you've ever seen in your life and it didn't even work. Okay, so it didn't even, didn't even do what its basic function was supposed to do. And so, okay, we gotta get that fixed. I had to replace it. So I went to Lowe's and I bought what, could, uh, what we could afford at the time. That's what I bought, all right? About a year or so later, Tracy disclosed to me, this is a year later, Tracy disclosed to me that she didn't, she didn't care for the chandelier that I picked out. Or let me state it another way. She didn't like it. <laughs> she didn't like the chandelier I picked out. But again, she didn't say anything because, you know, it was what we needed and what we could afford at the time. And, and she told herself, you know, one day I'm going to replace that chandelier and I'm going to put the one that I like up there. 14 years later, that chandelier still hung in our entryway. All right. So for, for Trace, I can't remember what it was. It was either her, her birthday or, or something like our anniversary or something like that. She asked, can we finally replace that chandelier? And, uh, and this time she wanted to replace it with the one that she actually liked, that she could actually pick out. And of course, when it comes to gift giving, I'm all for you telling me what you want to get. <laughs> I love that plan, okay? It's because I'm so bad at guessing. Just tell me what you want. Uh, and yes, she picked out a light that she had her eye on for about a year. And uh, so being the good husband that I am, I, I went out and bought that, that light. And finally, after 14 years, 14 years it replaced the light in our entryway and she and she loves it. Now, as I was hanging, remember I said this is two stories up or you know in the second, you know, I had to get scaffolding to be able to put it up, not just a ladder. And so there I am with this chandelier that she picked out after 14 years and at one there was a close call at one point where <laughs> I thought it was going to come, you know, crashing down and here's the thing, if that chandelier breaks after 14 years of waiting for the new light, there's no chandelier insurance, okay? If that chandelier breaks, it's a goner and that's it. And, and if that had happened, if that had happened, do you think that when I went to her to tell her about a broken chandelier, do you think I would have meant those words? Do you think I would, you've had a conjure up in me, you know, like, sorry, I didn't mean to break it. No, after 14 years, I know better. <laughs> after 14 years, of course, I'm going to be devastated for you. you waited for this for so long and I just dropped it from the second floor. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Hang on, I've got someone else wanting to admit here. There we go. You know, I'm so sorry. So you, I don't have to conjure up an apology like that. If I understand the gravity, no pun intended here with a light falling down to the ground. If I understand the gravity of what I've done, I don't have to conjure anything up, right? I understand how it impacts her. I mean, I'm happy to report the, the lamp is still up in its spot after several months, okay? Or the light is. And so here's where I'm going with this. You, you can't really come to a place where you believe in the work of Jesus until you understand the gravity of your sins against him, okay? A regenerated person, a saved person, cannot understand salvation without first feeling personal conviction of sin and the need to be saved, the need to be saved. And this, and this is something that we really fail to appreciate, and it's why we tend to not be in awe every minute of every day, every second of every day, and fully understand, we don't really understand how bad we are because we, we don't understand how good he is, okay? I want you to create a picture in your mind right now. 
Imagine for a moment if, if I was wearing a really white shirt, like a white, 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 brilliant white shirt. And imagine that shirt being clean and spotless and, and, and pressed nicely. Now imagine me putting an ink pen in my pocket without the cap on and watching that, that ink pen uh, bleed into the shirt, okay? That's all you'd see at that point. Never mind the whiteness of my shirt. All you'd be able to focus on is that, that blemish on my shirt. Same thing with a blemish on your face. When you see a blemish on your face, that's all you think people can look at you because oh, that's all they see set against otherwise a perfect face, right? <laughs> All I see is the blemish, right? And so that's why we go through such painstaking efforts to cover up the, the, the blemish on our faces. And, and, and this is, why do we notice the ink spot? Why do we notice the blemish on our face? It's the contrast. It's the contrast between perfection and not perfection. And this is what sin is. To sin against a, a holy, holy, holy God is, is the ultimate contrast between perfection and not perfection. God is, is, is so perfect that perfect doesn't even almost describe it, can't even describe it. He, he won't tolerate not perfection. David spoke a little bit about this uh, in, in the service this morning and, and the whole reason why there are so many laws for purification because it was trying to communicate something to us. Just being in the presence of, 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 of a God who's perfect Anything that we bring before him that is, that is less than that, well, that, that violates what perfection is, okay? And, and, and to, to realize that and to understand that and to realize that contrast, the only way, and the only way to make it right is a measure of justice. Someone, someone somehow, someone somehow has to make, our, 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 make right our criminal act, our criminal acts against God. Someone has to make it right. And that someone or something has to be perfect, okay? And that's, that's the first thing you have to understand. Not, not just that, that we have to say sorry, but that we have to understand really why we're saying sorry. To understand why we need a Savior. Now, to be totally transparent here, if we, if we read the Scriptures, we, we learn that, that even, even that... Even, even the ability to acknowledge that difference between perfect and not perfect, the ability to, 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 to have a concept of that, that is even a gift. That is even a gift from God. Acts 1.18 says this. Let's see if I got it here. Oh, boy. Boom. There we go. Acts 1.18 says this. 11.18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance, it says. He granted repentance that leads to life. He's saying that, 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 uh, he's saying that coming to a place where, where you understand the gravity of what you've done against God, even that is a gift granted from God. Ephesians 2.8, same thing. You know this one, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this not your own doing. This is not even your own doing, not even this. It's the very gift of God. So here's the rub. Yes. Yes, it's our duty to repent. It's our duty to repent. It's our duty to say sorry to God for, for what we've done against him. But it's also our duty to acknowledge the fact that we have received from him the ability to look at our sin with open eyes and realize the gravity of our sins against him. So, so again, what must I do to be saved? First things first, you need to understand that, that you need to be saved. You have to have an awareness that you need to be saved from something. 
and it's your sin. You need to understand why you need to be saved. You need to understand that, that God is perfect and you are not. And that perfection cannot exist. Perfection cannot exist with not perfection. Otherwise, the perfection is no longer perfection. An ink stain on a brilliant white shirt makes, makes that shirt no longer brilliant white. You need to make it right. You need, you need a, a perfect record. So you can't, uh, you need a perfect record and you can't get that perfect record without someone else giving it to you, okay? Are we good with this so far? This is element number one, element number one. We good? Any questions, thoughts before we continue? Yes, Jody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Let, let, that's right. Let me interject here. Let me, the, for the folks online here, the, the question was being asked, uh, it was specifically brought up about the, the rich young ruler, uh, because again, we're, we're saying that we have, to, uh, we have nothing to bring, right? And, uh, and, and, and so far we're saying there's nothing to do, you know, to earn our salvation. But yet when Jesus encounters someone like the rich young ruler, what does he tell him to do? He says, go sell everything you have. Go sell everything. You know, and he's said it a number of ways in other, other different encounters too. Uh, what, what's being said in that moment? What's being said when he tells the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have? What's he saying? Get rid of anything you value more than your, what's funny, get rid of anything that you would value more than you re, uh, value your relationship with Christ. What's funny about this encounter, and I love this encounter. I love this is, I know we're getting a little sidetracked here, but I love this. I love this so much. And this is, those of you in four groups, you would have just studied this last week. But, the, the thing that we, we tend to focus on about uh, that is we, we, we look at the rich young ruler and he says, Jesus takes him first to the second tablet of the law. Commandments, the, the latter half. Okay, so that'd be commandments uh, five through 10, which focus primarily on command, commandments that have to do with man to man, right? I've loved my brother since I was young. I've done, I've done all these things since I was a little boy. Can I get in now? And then where does Jesus take him? back to the first tablet of the law, the, the tablet that has to do with God and man. And he tells them, go sell everything you have. What's he telling him to do there? He's taking him back to the very first commandment. You have no other gods before me. And he's taking him back to that first commandment and he's saying, your money is your God. Do you see what he's doing? He's, telling, he's, he's, not, he's, not just, he's not telling him to do an action. He's trying to get him to understand this need that you, you have a problem. You worship another God. And until you realize that, until you realize the gravity of what you've done in, in propping up another God higher than me, you're not going to be able to do it commandments one through 10. You're not gonna be able to do any of them. It's still the same. It's still the same idea. God is still trying to bring the, Jesus is still trying to trying, you know, he, he can do anything he wants, you know, but you understand what I'm saying here. Jesus is, is bringing this, this in love, bringing the, the rich young ruler to a place where he understands 
you have a need greater than you realize. So he's still trying to deal with his need. Now, there's still more to be done here. There's still more to be done because I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. There's still commandments that we read in the Bible, like in 2 Peter, that says what? Make your calling and election sure. That is an action. You're being called to action to make your calling and election sure. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you were just saying that I, that I don't do. I thought Jesus does it. Well, we're getting there. So hang tight, buckle up. Here we go. I hope that somewhat answered your question. If not, uh, we can come back to that in a little bit. But again, to be saved, uh, you have to understand uh, what you're being saved from. Now, again, with the time we have left, I, I want to understand one important distinction. And that is the distinction between being saved and conversion. Okay, being saved and, and, and conversion. Move this along one thing. Uh, because here's where the rubber meets the road on this one. We, we've established that w- what must occur for someone to be saved, they have to, they have to believe. And, and they have to believe in the one who has the ability to save them from what they need saving from, right? They have to, they have to understand that the cosmic gap between perfection and not perfection and believe in the one who has the ability to close that gap, you know? That could naturally produce another question here. What, what if I don't really understand that cosmic gap yet? What about, what about the, the appreciation that you're talking about between uh, perfection and not perfection? What if I haven't really realized that? It's, it's like, again, forcing someone to say sorry. What, what, if, what if I'm just saying the words right now? What if I don't really understand the, the cosmic gap that exists between who I am and who he is or, or my children? What if my children don't really understand and, and, and truly appreciate the cosmic gap between God's perfection and their imperfection and thus not really understanding their need for a savior? That's a good question. I grew up in a denomination where it was, it was really important and a really big deal to remember the exact moment that you were saved. It was a very big deal. It was a big deal to remember the moment you went from lost to saved because that was proof positive that you understand, ah, I'm a lost person and I need, I need someone to save me and now I'm different. And I remember that moment, you know, when it happened, you realized your need to be saved and you spun around on your heels and you repented and you started living differently from that moment on. You know, when was that moment in your life? We were always asked. Later on, even in seminary, well, by the time I already got to seminary, I remember going through something that many of my peers got hung up on, something they heard one day in Apple, that they were told to be sure that to get your baptism in order, they were told. Get your baptism in order. Uh, they weren't told, uh, they were told, if you don't remember the exact moment when you came to Christ, then it's time to come to Christ for the first time right now. Let me see that hand. Raise that hand. No, you know, it was, a, it was very much a, you know, a, a, a high pressure situation, it felt like, okay? And many of them thought, well, I, I guess I don't remember that time. I guess I don't remember, you know, uh, the exact moment. So I, I guess I better come to Jesus now. And they, they were told now, since that was a denomination that practiced believer's baptism, right? They had to be rebaptized. They had to be rebaptized because they weren't really believers the first time that they were baptized. But now that you are a believer, now you have to be rebaptized, okay? And it was just out of God. People were getting baptized two and three times. Because, oh, I didn't understand what I was saying last week. So now I better get, get it right this week. And, uh, and here's what we need to understand, both for you and your children, all right? Belief and repentance are not just a sudden and, and momentary thing, Okay? Belief and repentance are something that, that, that must occur throughout the life of a Christian. When, when someone goes from, from not believing to believing, that's just really the beginning of belief. It's just really the beginning. Uh, 
This is why you shouldn't really think of, of your conversion or your child's conversion as something that we look back on and determine if, if we're really saved or if they were really saved. To go from, from not believing to believing is, is quite often a very gradual experience. Okay. Do you remember the story of John the Baptist? I'll give you one example here. John the Baptist, some, have, some might argue that, that he believed when he was in the womb because when, he, when his mom came in the, in the presence of Mary, who was with, uh, with Jesus in, in her, in her uh, stomach, I, I don't know what he said. <laughs> womb, thank you. <laughs> he leaped, you know. But uh, now I don't know if uh, we can you know, d- uh, definitively say that, but I know that he did be- believe in the saving power of Jesus very early on. So before even Jesus, on the onset of his public ministry, in John 1.29, John the Baptist, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. He sees Jesus coming. And what did he say? The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That means John has a real understanding of what Jesus is there to do. He's looking back at the Old Testament, seeing all the atoning sacrifices that they would, that they were just, that those were just symbols. Those are just symbols of what, Jesus would ultimately do. He understands. So, so if there's anyone who believes, it's got to be John the Baptist. There it is before anyone else understands it. There's the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God, okay? I believe this is the one later on John would find himself in prison. Things aren't going as smoothly as maybe he originally imagined. No, now the, the one who was boldly preaching, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is now saying this, Luke 7 18 and 19, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one is to come or shall we look for another? This is the guy that was definitively saying, behold the Lamb of God. Now he's saying, are you the guy? Are you the guy or should we be looking for somebody else? You see, Conversion, going from not believing to believing is often, like I said, a gradual experience. I'm here to tell you, I can't definitively tell you the moment that I truly believed and was converted. I can't tell you the moment. Can't tell you the moment in time. I remember the first time I realized in one sense that I had a need for Jesus. I was very young and I realized that somehow I knew Jesus had to clean my heart. (laughs) That's about as basically as as I understood. But I didn't understand atonement. I didn't understand what the Lamb of God was. I didn't understand about repentance, which is what we're saying when we were talking about the idea of, of being and understanding the gravity of your sin. That's, that's, that's the, the, the preemptive thought to, 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 to repentance. Okay? I didn't understand that when I first prayed that, that Jesus would come. And yes, I did. I prayed that when I was young. I didn't understand. Okay? When was the first time I understood the depth of my sin, the need for a savior and the need to believe in his ability to save me? I'm not sure. The Bible tells us that the only sure proof of conversion is not the suddenness of it, but the continuing nature of it and the fruit that comes as a result of it. When the Bible speaks about salvation, it doesn't tell us to make our calling and election sure by looking back at a moment right? This is what we were talking about a second ago. It says this, first, uh, second Peter 2.10. No, no. <laughs> I'll just tell you what it says. <laughs> Therefore, brothers, make, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, yes, there is something to do here. There are two pieces of salvation, 
two parts. There's justification and sanctification. You know the difference between justification and sanctification? I just went through a licensure exam late last week, and, and uh, they, were, they actually asked me about these very things, these very things. Justification is the act. It's an act of God's free grace, right? That, that makes you right with Jesus today, right now. It's like a declaration. It's like when a judge bangs his gavel down on the, or her gavel down on the, on the, uh, the wood thing. <laughs> Not guilty not guilty. And it's a declaration. You've been justified, declared not guilty. All right. That's what justification is because you look, you look, you look at what he did for you because he took your penalty. He lived a perfect life and gave you credit for that. You are saved right now. And there's nothing you can do to improve upon that. If you believe that you are saved right now, you'll never be, you'll never be more saved than you are right now. If you believe in that not guilty verdict that he applied to you. Sanctification, on the other hand. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the work of God, right? Also of God's free grace that Peter is talking about when he tells us, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, right? And to practice these things, you, you see, uh, when you come to faith, now that, you, now that you've got the ticket, so to speak, it's not just an easy ride in the fast lane. Now, now you're called now, now, that he secured your salvation, now you're called to action. You're called to do something. Not because he needs you to do it, not because somehow that improves your position before him. You'll, again, you'll never be more saved than you are right now. But now he's drawing you, he's inviting you into the process to do something, to partake of it. Okay, and now you're able to die more and more to sin and, 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 and live more and more unto righteousness. Because, and he has enabled that in you, but again, He's enabled that in you, but you're still called to action to do it. You're still called to action to make your calling and election sure. How do you do that? Through reading the Bible, through praying, to, to literally practice being a Christian, right? You be, and when you do that, you start to gain a, a deeper awareness of what? The more you read your Bible, the more you pray, the more, the more time you spend in his word learning these things, what do, you, what do you learn? You gain a deeper awareness of what? Your need for a savior you gain a deeper awareness of how holy he is. You gain a deeper awareness for how sinful you are. And suddenly you don't find yourself having to conjure up repentance. You suddenly have an awareness because you're literally practicing the things that Jesus has asked you to practice. And your belief and understanding of what it is you've been saved from grows deeper and deeper. Your, your, con your conversion becomes not more solidified it doesn't grow in that respect, but your awareness and your understanding of it grows. Again, it doesn't make you more saved than you already are, but your understanding and your depth of that understanding grows and grows and grows. It doesn't stop growing until the day you're face to face with Jesus. For now in a mirror dimly, then face to face with the one whom you believe and you know has the power and the ability and the strength to make you right before God. Let me stop right there and see if there's any questions either in person or online. Again, it was a simple question, simple question, but sometimes some simple, even simple questions require a little bit more depth of understanding. So anything that you want to discuss or bring up or question? Yes, sir. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's still, we still call it, it's still an act of, you know, the defined 
not on our own. We still, we are enabled, okay? If you look at the textbook answer from the Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism, it says we are enabled, enabled, that doesn't come from my own doing, but we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So again, we're being invited into the process that, again, like we've read from Ephesians 2, 2, 8, you know, it's not of ourselves. It's not of ourselves. Good question, though. Someone else? Is sanctification optional? Someone want to take that one? Is it optional? In other words, I think what Ron is asking here, if you are, if you, if you are justified, will you automatically be sanctified? Or can you opt out? Can you opt out of sanctification? No, they go hand in hand. He will complete the work that he began in you, one way or another. So in other words, you will be just, when you are justified, you're saved immediately. And then if, if, if the Holy Spirit does, in fact, when you, when you are justified, the Holy Spirit takes up residency within you and he will have his way with you. And in one way or another, one way or another, it may not feel like it from day to day. This is why I say it's so important that you don't look back at a spot and say, aha, I'm saved. What you, instead, what you look at is there growth? Is there sustained growth? Because that's what the Holy Spirit says he's going to do for you. He's going to change. He will change you. He will. And he'll, he'll do that until the day you die. Ongoing process for the rest of your life. Not perfection, not until, we, not until we're there face to face. We'll have glorified bodies as he did, but not until we're, we're reunited with him. Anyone else? How did the licensure exam go? Let me tell you something. Well, your dad was in there and he was tough. No, I'm kidding. The licensure exam is, is very, uh, I, I, if I can say this, I kind of pride myself on the fact that I don't get rattled by much. I really don't. I don't know if that just comes with time or age or what, but it, it takes a lot to rattle me. I was rattled. I was rattled going in there. I was nervous. And because of the nature of what it was, they asked me to, they, I had a bunch of written exams, okay, that uh, I had to submit beforehand. And then they take those written exams, and then there's several people on this committee that, that look through them, and they, they look at the, the trouble spots, the ones that, oh, this might need a little bit more clarification here. This is not, oh, he left something out here. And so that's what they ask you about in these oral exams, which I was examined on. And so by nature of what it is, every single question they're asking you is a problem that, that, that you don't know, otherwise you'd have written it uh, properly. But that to say, uh, they, they, uh, this, for those of you who don't know, there's a couple steps in becoming an ordained minister, a pastor in the PCA. The first one is licensure. It, it gives you license to preach. Uh, you get a card. No, <laughs> maybe you do. I don't know if you get a card or not with your picture on it. Uh, and the second one is ordination. So I've just, on Friday or Thursday, I, I completed the hurdle of being examined for licensure. That means I'm going to go before the presbytery and now by this committee's recommendation to say he is licensed to preach in the Presbyterian Church of America. And so uh, it was, I, I it was passed unanimously, all, everyone on there. So again, but it felt like I'm going to fail. <laughs> this is what it felt like. Thank you. Oh, that's really kind. That's really sweet of you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, it went uh, by that respect. And they, even, the, even the person I feel like that was giving me the, I say it in love, that he was giving me the hardest time, was grilling me the most. He sent me an email afterwards, very encouraging, very reaffirming, but also uh, lots of guidance. And when you go into presbytery, here's some things that you just want to clean up. So again, they were very gracious throughout the whole process, but it was, it was tough, it was good. But I'm glad to be done with that part of it. Thank you for asking. Anyone else? All right. Okay, I'm gonna go to Florida now, so. <laughs>
we will not meet next week. We will not meet. I'll actually be back, uh, but I'm going to be preaching at Music Row. So unless I can find someone to fill in for, for this, uh, this time uh, together, I'll be at Music Row preaching, but then we'll gather the next week. I'll, I'll let you know either way, okay? So be on the, be on the lookout for, for details on that. So great to be with you. Have a great week. Mm -hmm. Thank you.